Good morning! Welcome to Honey in the Rock, your daily dose of inspiration and encouragement. We look forward to having you on the show. This morning's episode is titled Mene Mene Terkel Umfasin. It shall be focused on a study of Daniel chapter 5. Before we go any further, we'll begin with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we read your scriptures today and see the handwriting on the wall, we pray, Father, help us to take warning of the judgment that's coming and to seek shelter under the name of your Son. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Up next, we shall listen to Daniel chapter 5. Chapter 5. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake, and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing, and show me the interpretation thereof, shall be clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and in the days of thy father light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Whom the king, Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Forasmuch as an excellent spirit, and knowledge, and understanding, interpreting of dreams, and showing of hard sentences, and dissolving of doubts, were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah? whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing, and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations, and dissolve doubts. Now, 
If thou canst read the writing, and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about thy neck, and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, and majesty, and glory, and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew and whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Meany, meany, tekel, eupharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Meany, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Pyrrhus, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. Up next, we shall listen to a sermon by Reverend William Branham titled The Handwriting on the Wall. This was preached in 1958 on January the 8th. We'll begin at paragraph 4 up to paragraph 108. I trust you find it to be a blessing. Now, our subject tonight begins in Babylon. <clears throat> and Babylon was first uh, located, which it is yet, in the uh, Shanghai. And it was first called the Gate of God, Babel, Babel. And later was called Babylon, which means confusion. And Babylon appears in the first of the Bible, in Genesis, and it appears in the middle of the Bible, and it appears in the last of the Bible, the last book, Revelations. And being that it's all through the Bible, it must be in existence yet today. And 
Also, everything that is on the earth today in the way of spiritual things, such as the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the devil and all the cults and everything that we have today in the world, they begin in Genesis. Genesis means the beginning. And all those things yet under another name and under another form, but the same Spirit that began in Genesis brings it out, and it's just like a tree growing, coming up to a head where it will all come to a climax in the end for the great judgments of God, where he will settle all things, and all that had a beginning will have an end. Just those things which had not a beginning has no end. That's why the, the born-again Christian has never an end, because he has eternal life. And eternal life is a part of God's own life, for God is eternal. And the same word, Greek word, Zoe, that says God's life, when Jesus speaks and said, I'll give unto them eternal life, that same word is used again. Therefore, a man being born again, his spirit has been changed, and he becomes a part of God, insomuch that he is a son of God, and he's just as eternal as God is eternal, because he's a part of God by his birth, spiritual birth. Now, Babylon was founded by a man named Nimrod, who was a son of Ham, a very evil man. and. Babylon was once the capital of the world. When this great city was built, there all the little cities all around it paid tribute, taxes, and so forth to this great city, Babylon. And in there, if you'll read in some of the ancient books, such as Hossif's Two Babylons and many of the ancient histories, you'll find that they had all kinds of curious doctrines in there. They had a woman in there, I can't call her name at this time, and she would find peculiar roots in, out of the earth and make gods out of them. It's believed that that was the gods that Jacob took from his father-in-law, some of those gods of roots and so forth, just little isms that out of them things sprung these cults that we see in the world today. If you'll notice the nature of them and the nature of these things today, it's the same nature. So Babylon set just in that great fertile valley there, and it was surrounded and irrigated by the Euphrates River and the Tigris, and it was a great agricultural center, and Babylon was a great city. And it's approximately about 120 miles around the city, 30 miles each side. That would make it uh, 120 miles around. They say that the streets in the city of Babylon was some 200 feet across. The walls were 80 foot thick and practically 200 feet high. They could run chariot races around these walls with the chariots, and the gates were made out of brass, and those gates then would be 200 feet across, 
And right in the center of the city sat the palace, and the palace was the throne. And through the center of the city came the great river Euphrates. If you'll notice it, it's the city of the devil, for it's designed after the city of God as a river of life before the throne. And in this city, they had great swinging gardens off the walls around. And it was such a great, mighty nation at the time until it had whipped the known world. And all the world was paying tribute. It had progressed further in science. And it had the latest things that science could produce. It had the latest chariots, the latest designs, the most powerful armors and best of metals. It was an outstanding to the rest of the world. And then inside these walls where King Belteshazzar was king during the time of this event that we're speaking on tonight, King Belteshazzar, which the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar, which was his father, but truly it was his grandfather, that he succeeded King Nebuchadnezzar. And many of you remember that Nebuchadnezzar was the beginning of the Gentile kingdoms the head of gold. And he had went up into Jerusalem many, many miles away and had captured the Jews and brought them down into his kingdom and made them slaves and they used their scientists and so forth, just like Russia did when it went into Germany. And that's why they got the atomic bomb and so forth. They got those German scientists. That's why they're so far advanced today. They captured them and took them back up there themselves. They didn't have it. But they went and got those things just like Nebuchadnezzar did the Jews. And we find out that during this time there was a righteous man by the name of Daniel, a prophet of the Lord, was taken in captivity at the time. He had served as a prince over all of the astrologers and so forth, and the wise man and the magis in the reign of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, and now Belteshazzar had taken over. Belteshazzar was a wicked sort of a man. He just didn't care. And then all the people of Babylon, with uh, such a security as they felt they had, once inside those gates, and the gates closed with 200-foot walls, 80-foot thick. Just think of how secure they must have felt in those walls. But just remember this. No matter how secure that science has made you, God will find you out when you sin. There is only one security, and that's in Christ Jesus. Now, as they felt their 
great importance of being the leading nation of the world, a very typical modern civilization, just like the one that we live in, this fabulous America. And I'm kindly disturbed myself that I'm afraid we're taking the same attitude that they took, that we feel because that we have got what we think the best scientists and the best machine guns and the atomic bombs and the fastest planes, and we have tried being the leading nation of the world. We have somehow felt our safety without God. It's a very beautiful pattern. And God never changes. His attitude towards sin is the same today as it was then. And there's no hiding place down here. Only in Christ are you secure. And in this great city, as they felt there was no way in the world for an army ever to invade that city, the great high walls and their modern equipment, and they were blocked off from the outside world. But little did they know that a wicked nation called the Medes and Persians, which are now, are the Hindus of India. How little did they know that many miles away was digging a river bed to turn the Euphrates River so that they could march under the walls. When they felt they were secured, all the time they felt that way, if they did feel that, then they went waiting in sin. It seems like that when man gets to the place that he feels that he's self-sufficient, sin begins to take a hold of him. The church, the nation, the individual that feels that he doesn't need any help from outside, sin begins to reign in him. That is true. And we would notice, too, that when people begin to feel that superior feeling, usually sin sets in and cankers them. So when they close those doors, they thought they were safe, but God looks down from the heavens. And sin is a reproach to any nation. I wonder tonight, with all of our great equipment and our atomic-controlled submarines and our jet planes that fly many hundred miles per second at even a minute that can even pass the sound barrier. But never forget but what your sins will find you out. And in this time they had closed the gates and they thought they would could just live in reverie as 
they wanted to because they were protected. They were the leading nation. All the other nations looked to them for science and for, for help. And so on such a time as that, there was a, this king thought he would have him a great big time. And he set a date that he was going to have a great big dance, or as I would say, a modern rock and roll. No more to it. And so he set the time and he invited all the celebrity, all of the soldiers and the captains and all of the wives and the concubines. Now a concubine is just a legal prostitute. And do you see when man feels self-sufficient that he starts waiting in sin? And he called in the best liquors that he could find for this great rock and roll party that he was going to have. He thought he was safe. He thought there was nothing could harm him because he was safe. And he had this great spree in one of these gardens just behind the palace. And while out there in the garden, perhaps they had decorated it all up real pretty, all the tinsel hanging, and got all of the showgirls and many of the women to come to entertain the soldiers and their beer and their wines, if that isn't a good modern setup of a rock and roll party today, I don't know where one would be. Exactly. And they got everything ready. And they were going to have a big time. And no doubt but what many married women came. Their husbands was left at home as babysitters while they went out to have a good time. And vice versa, no doubt a mother walked the floor with a sick baby while a drunken husband went out to have a big time. It's just six of one and half a dozen of the other. And I can see them as they begin to drink and to have a big time. And I'd imagine they really struck up the band and had the music and the little teenagers swinging one another and the soldiers drunk, grabbing the women and throwing them over their heads and kissing them and sitting down in the chairs and hoorahing, thinking they were safe. Oh, America, the God that looked down on that drunken rock and roll party is looking on you tonight. And what a time they must have been having. And I can imagine this year King Balthasar was a modern Elvis Presley. He could do a lot of their fantastics that they had. And all of their carrying on and not knowing all the time that death laid at the door. 
So as the party got into good swing, usually just about like a great setting of a modern Hollywood telecast, they thought they would crack some good jokes about religion, about like an Arthur Godfrey outfit or something like that modern today, or some Ernie Ford pea picker, crack some kind of a joke about the preacher. But God still looks down from heaven. But they thought they lived in such a nation that it could not be touched. But you reap what you sow. Just be aware of that, people. Whether you are a nation or a church or an individual, you reap what you sow. And while I can see this king stand up and say, Just a minute, girls. Let's have a good religious joke on the preacher and so forth. And all the tinsel of flying and the young ladies saying, Whoopee, yes, I believe we'd like to hear that. And the young soldiers are carrying on like the teenagers of the day. For this is no more than a modern Babylon. I'm an American, but so did Daniel belong in Babylon at that time. But that don't excuse sin. Said to a girl one time, are you a Christian? She said, I'll give you to understand I am an American. I said, that don't speak nothing. Not at all. I'm glad to be an American, but that has nothing to do to reflect Christianity. Not a thing. If we sin, we're going to pay for our sins. Just be it assured to you. They had a prophet there, but they wouldn't listen. They had the message, but they wanted to make fun of it. If that isn't modern America, I don't know it. They got the gospel, the truth, but they like to make fun of it. So they said, let us go down and get them holy roller vessels and bring them up here and have a good joke out of it. God doesn't permit sinners to make fun of his people. You'll pay for it someday. And they go get the vessels of the Lord and bring them up into the temple and they're going to have a good drink out of the vessels of the Lord. And when they poured their Earl's 92 or Pap's Blue Ribbon into it to have a good joke out of it, oh, they tip the glasses and the vessels and begin to drink and laugh and make fun of the religion of the Lord. They were ignorant of what they were doing. And so is this nation tonight, ignorant of rejecting the message of the Lord Jesus Christ in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and being born again. Though they were religious, now that drunken party of rock and rolls, they were religious. Because the Bible said that they praised their gods. 
So you can be ever so religious and still be wrong. It's right. It's not the sincerity. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is a way of death. So they had a great state church and a religion that they could serve, and they made fun of the holy things of God. That's very typical of today, making fun of the holy things of God. They call the people that try to live clean and decent and upright. They call them old-fashioned or holy roller or some kind of a scandalous name. And they call the gifts of the Lord that he's performing the working of an unclean spirit like a fortune teller or a devil. Oh, how can you escape judgment? The blood of the martyrs call against it. If God doesn't judge this nation for its modern sin, he'll have to raise up Sodom and Gomorrah and apologize to him for destroying them. Right. We are bound for judgment. And these great wonders that you see our blessed Savior doing, they are warning signs that judgment is at hand. And she's combed this nation from side to side, from east to west, from north to south. And they spin it, laugh at it, criticize it, write it up in their papers as nonsense. Think of it, modern Babylon. Now, while they were drinking, tipping their cups and drinking, all of a sudden, when this great movie playboy by the name of Belteshazzar was just about ready to take a drink from his cup, his eyes seemed just bulge out as he turned and looked towards the castle for he saw coming from heaven the hand of a man and it began to write up and down on the wall I want you to notice it wrote on the plaster now perhaps the candlesticks were setting out from their tinsel where they were having their modern rock and roll and the lights was flickering against the wall God doesn't do things in a corner it's right out under the lights where God speaks and moves so his supernatural handwriting was on the plaster of the wall inside of them all And the king must have saw it first, this modern jokester, good radio comedian, television actor, as he tipped the glass to drink or the cup what he had in his hands, his eyes bulged out and he felt all shook up. 
I'd imagine he did. The Bible said that his bones come loose out of joint. He surely was all shook up, sure enough. When God begins to show his signs, it's time to get shook up. Right. And as he noticed his rock and roll song, it made him shook up. And then as he noticed this handwriting on the wall, I can imagine the little missus with her lips painted about like, I don't know what, and her hair all tinseled up and flinging around and with these drunken soldiers said, wonder what's the matter with the boy tonight. And as she heaked up and some young man grabbed her and said, all right, let's dance this next one together. And the music stopped. Oh, this great sinful nation, sometimes your rock and rolls are going to stop. If you won't listen to the voice of a preacher, you will listen to the hand of God in judgment someday. But the rock and roll will stop just the same as the bands did and played near my God to thee on the Titanic. Someday you're going to change that tune. And the music stopped. And they noticed their jokester, their, their star on the television cast. And he was standing, his knees beating together as he looked and seen this great thing taking place. Why, he says, all the walls are closed around. I have my guard standing at the gate. My choice man. But you see, God don't have to come in at the gate the way you think. He comes down from glory. And his hand was writing on the wall. And quickly, being in a very modern place, the Bible said he called in all of his soothsayers, astronomers, all the bishops, the doctors and the popes and the cardinals and so forth, and said, Now I tell you, gentlemen, I've given you the privilege to preach and to do what you wanted to do. Now interpret for me that on the wall. But just as it was then, so is it now. They wasn't used to the supernatural. They know nothing about it. They didn't know how to interpret unknown tongues. They know nothing about a heavenly language. And they were dumbfounded. They know nothing about it. And as they all stood there, remember, this is the bringing in of the Gentile kingdom. And as it come in under the supernatural, it'll go out under the supernatural. But these bishops and cardinals and great doctors could not interpret the supernatural. They know nothing about it. They looked through all their books of art, and they could not find nothing that would compare with that. You see, spiritual things are spiritually understood. And then they were all disturbed. And they didn't know what to do. 
And finally, a little queen. Remember, she wasn't at the rock and roll party. And the only way that she knew something was going on, word came to her that the king was all shook up. And the party had stopped. She would make one of the good believers. And somehow or another, she had been one who had not forgotten. She rushed into the party, and as she seen the modern jokester all shook up in all of his band, she said, Oh, King, live forever. But he didn't know he was dead right then. Said, Live forever. I know you're all bothered about that handwriting on the wall. And I see the Pope and the bishops and the cardinals and the doctors of divinity, and none of them can read it. But, O King, let me tell you something. There is a man in your kingdom that knows about supernatural. (laughs) O brother, when we see the handwriting on the wall today, but there is a man... Who knows about it? You might have went to every doctor's office in the city and they told you you've got to die, but there is a man. You may have weighed in sin until your soul is as black as the smutty walls of hell and you're ready to commit suicide without a hope, but there is a man and his name is Jesus. He knows the supernatural, and he's in our kingdom, for we are the children of his kingdom. There is a man said he knows the supernatural. Four years ago, they found the Spirit of God in him, and he had an excellent spirit. He could interpret dreams. He saw visions, and every one of them was just exactly right. So don't be troubled. Just give me a few minutes, and I'll get him here. There'll be one day you'll call on him. You might not have no room for him in your house. You're too busy watching television, playing cards, drinking beer, attending rock and roll parties. But there's one time you're going to call on him. That's right. And so Daniel was brought in. And as he was brought in, a preacher of righteousness, a man of God. I couldn't imagine a man of God living in such a place as that unless he had called out against it. But you see, the king had paid no attention to it. That's the reason he was in the condition that he was in. And they brought Daniel. And he said, Why can't your popes and doctors interpret for you? They had nothing to interpret with. So then what taking place? Daniel said, Oh, Belteshazzar, You know all these things. They're not hid from you. 
And I say to America, I wish I could make them at this minute hear my voice. You're not ignorant to all these things. As the nations before has sinned and done what we have done, we are weighed in the balance and found wanting. What happened to France? What happened to Germany? What happened to the other nations who went wine women and big time? It always comes out that way, and we're not immune from judgment. God is just. And he said, your father, how God made him a great nation, but he forgot it. And he'd done the same things that you were doing, and God turned him into a wild beast. Said, you're aware of these things. And then you take his holy vessels and make fun of them. Notice, he said, the writing has been set on the wall. And this time your kingdom is numbered. In other words, look here, fellow, your days are numbered. Your kingdom is taken from you and give over to another nation. A brutal, godless nation. One that's as bad as they are. God makes sin fight sin. I wonder today, right at that same time, may I say first, when he was standing there watching that writing on the wall, little did he know that right under the gates, right then, the guards had been killed. And the soldiers were in the streets slaying the palace guards. They were on the steps and those women standing there away from their babies, away from their husbands and husbands from their wives, all drunk up, listen to some kind of a modern dance and carry on. And the soldiers was on the steps and a few minutes the king would be cut down all that drunken bunch of men would be cut down by an atheotic, devil-possessed nation. And the women would have their clothes stripped off of them, young girls and all, and ravished in the street, then picked up by the heels and burst their heads around the walls, chopped them open after they had lived with them in lust, mad, drunken soldiers. It was at the door, for they were weighed in the balance and found wanting. And I wonder today, and all of our modern going on, all the laughing and making fun of healing services, laughing and making fun of the church of the living God, and going on as the Bible said they would do, heady, high-minded, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I wonder in this day when we think we're so secured and all of a sudden we find out that Russia is five years ahead of us in science. We've been to too many parties. We've weighed too much in sin. The church is so asleep it don't care for prayer meetings no more. They're 
unconcerned. They too put a voice in against the real true spirit of the living God. They won't have them. They're so denominations, so dressed up. They have no time for prayer meetings. There are televisions and picture shows and gadding around on a drunken parties and things. That's true. That may sound old-fashioned, but it's what the nation needs today. It's too much sissing around with the gospel with rubber gloves on. It's got to be handled barehanded by the Holy Spirit. Truly, Billy Grimm said about a week or two ago in one of his messages, said this nation can become a satellite to Russia any time Russia desires. Where are we at? You'll buy Elvis Presley's records and stay home from church to hear We Love Susie one of these days. You're weighed in the balance and found wanting. What's happened? There's a handwriting on the wall. The Russians put up a Sputnik that we can control nothing about it 500 miles off of the earth and could put a half a dozen of them over the United States in the next 30 minutes and call in and say, surrender or be a bunch of ashes in a few minutes. They can do it. There isn't nothing that we can do to stop them. It's in their hands, a bloodless, heartless, ungodly communist. That's what God uses to make sin come to life. Certainly is. If you'll read the Bible, Russia's got to do that according to the revelations. All right? You prophecy teachers might differ from that, but just wait till it's over. Russia is put here for that very purpose. The Bible said so. Now, here she is with a Sputnik. We tried to fire one the other night. We thought we was going to do just as much as they did. Rose three foot off the ground and fizzled out. Too much rock and roll and sin. We're weighed in the balance and found wanting. God be merciful. What are we going to do? What would happen if they'd send those Sputniks up with those missiles and say, Surrender or become a pile of dust in five minutes? Of course our government to save life would surrender. That's the only thing they could do. Then what would happen to some of you Americans, all of us in here, not here, but I mean nationally speaking, nationally speaking, you little smart addicts of girls that run along with your little lips painted up like some kind of a rosebud and would laugh at a preacher on the corner preaching the gospel, and you little teenager that think you've got more gumption and you've got intelligence to control. What's going to happen to you, Papa, that sits home at night with Mama and watches the television while Junior's in the hot rod and sister's down at the canteen somewhere and she's down there doing a rock and roll and you're watching the television and making fun of the gospel? What's going to happen to you, church member? What's going to be your outcome? You may have your name on every book or the biggest church in the city. 
But unless you're under the security of the blood of the Lord Jesus, you'll perish with those who will perish. There's no hope for you. What's going to happen? There's a Sputnik up there. And what would happen? The nation would surrender, of course. That's the only decent thing the government could do. Then what happens? Wave after wave of shiploads of soldiers, wave after wave of airplanes would land in this nation. The women would be ravished in the streets. What would you do? It belongs to them. Kicked out of your home, they'll take it over. What will happen to you young girls and you young men and all of you at that time? Sin has to be paid for. No matter what nation it is or who it is, it does it individually. Our nation, it's going to be paid for. And a bunch of brutal, ungodly, whiskered-jawed, communistic soldiers would grab your wives and ravish them, your young girls, and you'd stand and like it. There's nothing you can do about it. What causes that? Because you have listened to such stuff as these television programs on rock and roll and sin and some cold formal preacher not able to interpret the supernatural, the handwritings on the wall. Why we are weighed in the balance and found wanting. When could that take place? Before daylight in the morning. Who's going to stop it? Try it. The Bible says it'll happen. Well, let me tell you, that'll never touch the church of the living God. We'll be gone by that time. So, friend, listen. If that thing is so close and we see the handwriting on the wall, there's nothing can stop this thing from happening now. America's been preached to, the supernatural's been done, and continually they wait right on over the top of it. Go to a country somewhere and hold a revival and have 40 converts in a week and go back in six weeks, you don't have four. The old pond has been sane dry. God just has so many he's elected. And when the last one's in, that closes the door. And it's over. Then there's nothing left but judgment when mercy has been spurned. Here we are at the end of the road. The supernatural's being done. It's been laughed at and made fun of. And the last thing, God has come in his own power and his own beloved son to work through his church. And they say it's spiritualism or the devil. What else can be left but judgment? And here's a handwriting on the wall. But if that is that coast, and any teacher knows that the church goes in the rapture before the tribulation sets in. So if that is that close could happen before morning, what about the rapture? It's closer than that. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. The coming of the Lord is at hand. The writing is written. And it is written in the Bible, and we're living to see it. Will you, by the persuasion of my voice, receive Jesus Christ this hour? Repent and be baptized, said Peter, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises to you and to your children. 
and to them it's far off. For there's not another name given under heaven among men whereby ye must be saved. Unless you're Christ, you can be Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Nazarene, Catholic. You're lost until you become of Christ. And Christ comes into you. It's the new birth by the Holy Spirit. Receive him tonight while we pray. With your heads bowed, I just wonder this. How many in here that knows if this great thing would happen, you may go to bed tonight with your wife, and in the morning she'll be gone. You, father and mother, may kiss your little ones to sleep tonight, and tomorrow morning the little bed be empty. And you run down the street to find out what happened to Mrs. Jones. She's gone too. The rapture is at hand. The Bible is plainly given. And in this meeting, while you have the chances, as men of, of intelligence and women of intelligence, why don't you heed to that call in your heart and say, Lord, God, fill me with that eternal life. Because if your spirit is still an intellectual conception, you're earthbound. But the Spirit of God that come out of heaven comes into your heart and gives you the Holy Spirit in you. When the tribulation comes, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, goes back to its Maker, and you go with it. No matter how religious you are, it won't go unless there's something in there to take you. How many tonight with your heads bowed when the face of this message would raise your hands to the Christ and say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And if you should come, I want to go with you. Would you raise your hands? God bless you just all over the church. Literally 200 or more hands up in the air. Sinner friend, if you've never accepted Christ, would you at this time raise your hand and say, Lord Jesus, be merciful to me. God bless you, lady. God bless you over here. You back there. Someone else? Just remember me, Lord. God bless you over here. Down here, the Lord be with you. Remember me, oh Lord. My eyes have just been opened. I realize that maybe I've professed to be a Christian for a long time, but I'll never know what it is to be born again. I've never received the Holy Spirit. Therefore, except the man be born again, he will in no wise enter into the kingdom or cannot even see the kingdom. Would you raise your hand and say, Be merciful to me, O Holy Spirit. And when you come to the church, take me. God bless you, lady. Would someone else remember me? Oh, God bless you, sir. God bless you, lady. Remember me, O God. God bless you here, young fella. God bless you over there, lady. Back there, young lady, back in you, back there, lady. Be merciful to me, O oh God, when I see the handwritings on the wall. I'm intelligent enough, say, to see that what has been said out of the Bible tonight, that this is a repeat of history. We're at the end. There's nothing can help. The thing that's going to destroy the world is in the hands of sinful man. There's just a few more. 
you might be the last one that's ordained to come to Christ. When that last one comes, judgment strikes. Lacking one thing yet, that might be you. Will you receive him tonight while we wait? Some twenty, thirty hands has been up. Now, we have no place here to make an altar call, to bring the people to the front here because we don't have any place. But I'm going to ask you, surely, oh, be sincere and listen to the voice of warning. Be sincere and ask Christ right where you're sitting, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, and receive me ere I pass beyond the veil of mercy. Before I send my day of grace away, be merciful to me, Lord. And he will do it. Now pray like that while I pray with you. Blessed Lord, we're standing in a terrible condition tonight. As we read your word and know that most any hour the radios could flash and the rock and roll bands that go to singing near my God to thee. But it's too late then. Judgment is struck. Missiles are pointed at us. Destruction by miles after miles, by tons after tons of, of earth-sweeping atomic energies and so forth. That would set the whole world afire. And it's in the hands of sinful man. And the Bible said that that's the way it'll happen. And we see the handwriting on the wall. Oh, Lord God, I'm insufficient to try to bring a message like this to a people. And I feel how little I am standing here to try to handle such a subject. But will you forgive me for my part of not being able to do it, but somehow from my heart I ask you to sink the message the way you would have it into their hearts. For I do see the hour approaching, and be merciful, God, and save each one and fill them with the Holy Spirit, and may they be your children divinely wrapped in your goodness, and receive security from the Lord Jesus, for our nation is not secure. We thought we were, so did the Babylonian kingdom think so. But all the time there was a wicked nation working, and there's been a wicked nation working until now we know that they're ahead of us, and we're at their mercy. Lord, the church is at your mercy. They will destroy, but you will take your church. Oh, Lord, take us into your care tonight and bless us for Jesus' sake. And in his name we pray. Amen. As we get towards the end of this episode, we'll end with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank thee, Lord, for thy loving kindness and to recognize how, Lord, you, your judgments are sure and upright and how, Lord, you, for those who exalt themselves above your word, Lord, you bring them down a base. So give us the spirit of humility out of thy word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
Thanks for listening to Honey in the Rock, your daily dose of inspiration and encouragement. We hope to continue to earn your viewership throughout the year as we read the Bible from cover to cover. To make this a better listening experience for you, would really appreciate your feedback. So please email us at honeyintherock2020 at gmail.com. We also have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So please follow us, share our pages, and subscribe. Now we'll leave you with the parting song. God richly bless you. Thank you.